is to be a Christian and to be counted as one of your child, one of your children. We thank you for the love that is unfolded to us, not only on the cross, but all throughout our lives and throughout our generation as Christians. We pray that we might reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So help us be a testimony for you, we pray. We ask for your blessing upon the studies, not only for tonight, but for this whole weekend series with John. Thank you for him and Katie and the family. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, have this sweet time of fellowship in your word. And Lord, as we seek to know what to do with your word and how to use it and apply it in our lives, we pray for your Holy Spirit to continue to guide and lead us. So bless this time for John. Uh, uh, fill him with your knowledge in such a way to bring forth the gift that you have brought for us tonight. We pray for our blessings upon our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Mickey, and good, good Saturday evening, everyone. I trust that you have had a, a good Saturday uh, morning and afternoon since we were last together. And if you're just tuning into our series, it's such a treat and privilege to be with you. Chris, many thanks for the throwback to the 80s with... Uh, with for him and the uh, the song that was just played uh, moments ago, uh, reminiscing, my brother. Thank you for that. We the the storm is officially here in Dubuque, Iowa. It uh, it has begun with freezing rain, and so I I literally slid into the parking lot here at the office and and very gingerly uh, walked from uh, the vehicle to. Uh, the door and made it without falling. We'll see if I can uh, can do that in an, in an hour or so. But we're supposed to get three to seven inches, give or take. Uh, we had eight and a half. It was Monday, Katie, wasn't it Monday? This, this past Monday, we had eight and a half inches of snow. So we've had a bunch, several storms already, and, and it looks like more to come. Let me take a moment to give you some homework. I know you're excited about it. Uh, we all love homework. You'll love this kind of homework. Uh, you don't have to turn it in and it won't be graded. Uh, you can't get better than that. Uh, so some homework virtually, uh, but it will not be graded and uh, you don't have to turn it in and it will not be graded. But here's what I'd love for you to think about. And, uh, and I'd encourage you to share this with those that might be in your household or those that you interact with uh, on, on, uh, on the regular, uh, share your results uh, with them should you choose to do so. Here's your homework. We will, believe it or not, we will look at seven, seven characteristics or seven marks of a disciple of Christ. Our series is entitled Marked for Life, What It Looks Like to Be a Disciple of Christ walking worthy in a culture of chaos. And so we're looking at seven marks. We've looked at two uh, that can be summarized with these six words, love Christ best, read that book. Love Christ best, uh, mark number one, a supreme and incomparable love for Christ. Read that book, uh, a regularity of study and devotion to God's word. We're going to look at seven of these. 
We've looked at two, five to go. Lord willing, we'll highlight three tonight. But my, my encouragement to you is this. It's a two-part two homework assignment. Number one, which of these seven, which of these seven marks needs the most attention in your life right now? Which of these seven? We've looked at two. We'll look at seven, Lord willing, together by the time we're done tomorrow uh, before noon or right around that time. Which of these seven marks needs the most attention in your life right now? And I'd encourage you to, to share that with someone. Secondly, here's the second part of your homework. Should you choose to accept your assignment? Um, my encouragement to you is to pick one thing, one word, one phrase, one verse, one concept from our study that stands out to you. Uh, so when we're done, we have tonight's session. You'll listen to Sunday School diligently, I know, once it's up. And then another session tomorrow. Of all our sessions, what stood out to you? And we may even try to have a time for you to share that, that one, I sometimes call it, one golden nugget uh, that stands out. One golden nugget. One thought that really encourages you or challenges you. Uh, so there's your homework, should you choose to accept. Which of the seven marks needs the most attention in your life right now? And then secondly, of all that we've considered, uh, by the time our series concludes, what has stood out to you uh, as most encouraging or most challenging? There's your homework. There's your homework. I invite you to turn tonight in your Bibles to begin with to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we again are looking at a series entitled Marked for Life, what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. We've established that uh, the church really needs to stand up in the midst of a, a culture of chaos and to walk worthy and to look like a disciple of Christ should look like. And we were reminded that, that Paul demonstrated that worthy walk. Uh, to the church at Thessalonica, and he challenges us to walk in the same way, adhering to the same pattern, following his example. We'll talk about that concept perhaps a little later tonight. We're looking at seven marks. We looked at two, and tonight we'll look at mark number three, number four, and number five, right in the, uh, the middle of our seven uh, marks of discipleship, we find this triad, uh, these three marks that are mentioned uh, in the Gospels uh, and our central passages. Notice that there's a central passage for each mark uh, we or central passages. And the central passages for these three are all the same. Uh, for the, uh, mark number three, number four, and number five, and we'll get to those in just a little bit together. But I wanted to start by sharing a story. There's a chance that I've shared this story before, but there's also a very good chance that you have forgotten it. And so I'm pretty safe uh, to repeat. And by the way, Peter tells us uh, and shares with us the importance of repetition. Repetition is the key to learning that we need to have our minds stirred up by way of remembrance. Uh, so from time to time, 
If you hear something again, it's for all of our benefits, mine included. Truth be known, as I've been thinking about 2021, I thought I need to get back to these marks. I really need to make sure that I'm living as a disciple of Christ in the midst of the madness. And so this has been a challenge for me and I, I, I trust the challenge appropriate uh, for you as well. Second Corinthians 3, 5. The story is uh, regarding a time when I was, I think in, in uh, middle school, uh, maybe, maybe uh, a little older than that. And I was in Dallas, Texas with my family. We were in Dallas, Texas, and, and I don't even recall why we were there. We might have been visiting friends or dad might have been uh, uh, preaching at a camp. I just don't recall. But we were in Dallas as a family, and dad wanted to take uh, the family to uh, the campus of Dallas Theological Seminary. And so I hadn't seen it, hadn't been there. And again, I'm in junior high when this was occurring. And we pulled into the parking lot. I can remember basically where we parked. And my dad said, hey, there's Dr. Charles Ryrie just walking across the campus. Now, Dr. Ryrie, Charles Ryrie, I've mentioned his name. I, I mentioned a book that he wrote. I'm using uh, the Ryrie Study Bible. Dr. Ryrie taught my dad at Philadelphia College of the Bible and then also at Dallas Theological Seminary. And and uh, he's one of my go-to practical theologians. I love his basic theology and, and many of his writings. And of course, uh, uh, uses Ryrie Study Bible. My dad said, John, go get your Bible. Go get your Bible out of the car and bring it to Dr. Ryrie to have him sign that. And that seemed a little strange to me. Why do we have somebody sign our Bibles? But, but now I understand the idea of having the uh, the editor of a study Bible, sign your Bible. And so he grabbed my Bible and graciously, graciously wrote his name and a verse. This verse, 2 Corinthians 3, 5. And I want you to know that this verse has been of significant encourage to me, encouragement to me over the years. It's interesting to me that Dr. Ryrie, Dr. Ryrie, had the forethought and the uh, discernment to write in a young boy's Bible the, this verse. How crucial and important for a young guy aspiring potentially to be involved in, in ministry. Uh, such a crucial, crucial lesson, lesson for me to learn. And look at what the verse says. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. It says, not that we are adequate. Not that we are adequate. Some of your translations will say, not that we are sufficient. Not that we are adequate. Not that we are sufficient. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. But our adequacy, our sufficiency is in the Lord. What a great lesson. In and of myself, in and of my own efforts, I will fall short. I'm inadequate. I am insufficient. But in him, I am more than sufficient. I am more than adequate. My sufficiency 
or my adequacy comes from the Lord. What a grand reminder. What a grand reminder for me as a young person to think about these words, to think about the fact that if I want to make my life count for the Lord Jesus, I have to remember I cannot do it myself. My adequacy is in the Lord. The next three characteristics have everything to do with a moment-by-moment -moment dependence upon our great God. A moment-by-moment -moment dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. A moment-by-moment -moment dependence upon the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who indwells us. I don't know if you fully comprehend the mystery of the Trinity and the mystery of the Holy Spirit indwelling every believer, but that absolutely, absolutely still blows my mind. But the need for us to acknowledge our inadequacies, our insufficiencies, and recognizing the source of how we can really reflect these marks and characteristics. I want to read you some verses. I'm not going to tell you where it's found, and I'm not going to tell you uh, who wrote it. You'll recognize it pretty quickly. But I want to read you some verses that remind us of this inadequacy. The verses state the following. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now, no longer am I doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not wish. Jumping down later in this chapter, verses 20 through 24, we find the following words. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in, in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Let me ask you a few questions. And I know you know the answer to these questions, but I'm going to ask them nevertheless. Where is this passage found? Anyone? Sounds That's like right. Romans. Romans 7. Romans 7. And, and, and remind us again 
uh, who was indeed writing these words? The Apostle Paul, right? And, and remind me also of his spiritual condition when these, uh, when these words were written. A saved individual, correct? Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for the summary of the word of God in Romans chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8. And in chapter 7, Paul graciously reveals to us the fact that he, as a believer, still struggles with sin. Chapter 6, if we had time, we would be owning chapter 6, verses 1 through 14 especially, being reminded of our identity in Christ, that we are now dead to sin and alive to God. In Romans 8, we can be reminded of the role of the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does on our behalf, in and through us. And in Romans 7, we find the struggle. Mark's number three, number four, and number five hit the struggle face on. The struggle that we as believers encounter daily with the flesh. And so in, in these three sections, Matthew 16, Mark chapter 8, and Luke chapter 9, the Lord Jesus says essentially the same thing. There's some differences because of the audience in those three gospel accounts, but the three marks are, are virtually the same. He says it this way, anyone wishing to come after me, there's that phrase again. There's the pattern again. If you want to be a disciple of mine, if you want to be worthy of me, if you want to come after me, then this needs to happen. Please be reminded that for all seven of these marks, there's that kind of pattern. And if then statement and then a reward or blessing if we do what we're supposed to do. And we see that in each one of these. And this one in particular, the Lord Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must do three things. This triad of mark number three, number four, number five. He must deny himself, number four, or number three, excuse me. He must deny himself uh, a renunciation of self as the authority and focus of attention in one's life. That's mark number three. He must deny himself. Number four, he must take up his cross. And in Luke, he says that we're to do that every day. Take up his cross daily. Number four is a realization of a life of, of sacrifice and separation to the cross. And number five, and follow me, the Lord Jesus says. Anyone wishing to come after me, he must deny himself, number one. Number two, must take up his cross daily. Number three, in this section, must follow me. And these correspond to Mark's number three, number four, and number five. Let me ask you, when you hear the Lord Jesus say these words, again, if you want to come after me, if you want to be worthy of me, if you want to be a disciple of mine, I need to see this in your life. 
You can't just say it and, and, and that makes everything okay. The Lord Jesus wants us to be evidencing these marks and characteristics. And I began in 2 Corinthians 3, 5 intentionally because we must be reminded we can't do it on our own. Sometimes when we look at these marks or go through a series of character qualities or traits or virtues, we get all fired up and excited and say, I'm going to do that and I'm going to be that. And that's good. But we desperately need to be reminded of the struggle that is real and the help that we need. We're inadequate on our own. We're insufficient on our own. But our adequacy, our sufficiency uh, is found in him. Let me ask you the question. What do you think of when the Lord Jesus Christ says that we must deny ourselves? This is not referring to some form of asceticism and, and uh going without food or, or uh, uh, physically necessarily uh, doing something to deny self, but, but rather has uh, much to do with the spiritual realities that are before us. Perhaps unmute and share uh, your brief thinking and response to what the Savior is conveying when he says we must deny ourselves. What comes to mind if you're willing to share? There's the human impulse to do things on your own and the habit of life to do things on your own and the confidence that you have that you can do it on your own. That's right. And we're bombarded every day, aren't we, to be self-reliant and to be independent and to think that you can do anything and everybody gets a trophy for it these days. And so the Lord Jesus is, is instructing us to deny ourselves. I appreciate those comments ever so much. Uh, to not rely upon ourselves. What else comes to mind? Quickly, we've got to cover three Our of sin these. nature. Our sin nature, right, Mick? Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, we want to follow the, the nature, the prince of this world, the darkness of the devil and his influence. I've been spending a, a fair amount of time in, in 2021 and end of 2020 and 2021 as we're into this new year thinking about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I've, I've done some teaching of late on the Lord's Prayer, and I am so thankful for the practical nature of this model prayer uh, and, and how it, 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 it encourages us here, here the Son is telling the children how to talk to the father and he tells us on the regular to ask for help lead me not into temptation and when i'm in it deliver me from evil we still struggle don't we with sin as believers and so the lord jesus teaches us to pray and to ask the father to help us with this struggle what else comes to mind the denial of self the denial of self. The Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And brother Mike, we're going to go there probably on Mark number four in just a moment. But absolutely, Perfect. this whole idea of not my will, but your will. We'll get there um, when we look at the next Mark together. I love that. Very appropriately, we should be thinking about the Garden account. Perhaps you're thinking about the put-offs and the put-ons 
that Paul mentions in Ephesians and, and Colossians. Uh, they, they're parallel passages, uh, Colossians and, and Ephesians, where Paul talks about as a believer, we need to put off and as a believer, we need to put on and we can uh, you can look at those on your own. But I'd love to I'd love to set the stage in regards to the battle that is real every day. When the Lord Jesus encouraged his disciples, the originals and us by way of application, by saying you must deny yourselves, identifies for us the battle that rages for a believer every day. And the battle is described for us clearly in Galatians chapter 5. I invite you to turn there with me just for a few moments, and this will uh, set the stage for Mark number 4 as well. Uh, what it means to not only deny ourselves, Mark, no, or Mark number three, characteristic number three, but to also take up our cross daily. Notice what, what we find in Galatians chapter five. And as you're turning there, we'll pick up at verse 16 uh, of Galatians chapter five. I, I want you to think about with me uh, uh, a boxing ring. Uh, I I think some of you might appreciate the the sport of boxing, classic boxing uh, from days gone by. Um, think about a boxing ring and think about what happens. And, and it's a bit of mystery how this would happen. But from the sky it, uh, or the arena, it would seem there's a big microphone that is dropped. And someone comes up to the microphone and announces those who are fighting. Can you imagine it? Can you hear the voice? Can you hear the introduction of the battle? Ladies and gentlemen, in this corner, wearing the gold trunks, coming in at five feet, nine inches tall, weighing 175 from Philadelphia, PA, we have the Italian stallion. And in this corner, standing six feet two inches tall weighing 202 wearing the american flag trunks we have apollo creed and the announcement is made we understand who is fighting and who is battling in the ring and it's laid out plainly and clearly for us the apostle paul does the same thing he tells believers that in this corner we have the flesh, the works of the flesh, rightly defined as the things that I want to do. And in this corner, we have the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, rightly defined as the fruit that he wants to produce. And the battle rages every day. The Lord Jesus says, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, deny yourself, recognizing the battle and putting off, putting off the flesh and putting on the spirit. Uh, the illustration, the, the terms that Paul uses in, in Ephesians and, and Colossians, the spirit indwells, of course. Listen to the match. Listen to the announcement in Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. There it is in simple terms. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that they may not do the things, so that you may not do the things you please. Highlight verse 17. The battle is described clearly. The flesh, what I want to do, versus the spirit, what he wants to do. I remember clearly hearing Dr. Chuck Swindoll speak. Uh, I think it was at the, the campus of, uh, of Dallas Seminary, or it might have been just listening to him on the radio. But he made this statement, and it, it, uh, it stuck in my mind. And he said, I fear that most Christians, most Christians do not experience a spirit-filled and led life. That's a powerful statement. And if he was accurate that we do not experience the victorious Christian life, if he's accurate in saying so, it's because of the fact that we do not deny ourselves as we ought to. Peter tells us he's given us, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. In Romans chapter 6, we're reminded that, you know what, every time as a believer, every time we sin, it's because we choose to. That is a reality. We are dead to sin and alive to God. And that is our identity and that is our standing. I remember having this, this phrase repeated time after time in a course called Spiritual Life. Isn't that a creative title for a course? Spiritual life. Uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Bill Lawrence was teaching and he said to us over and over and over again, we should not live like we used to be because we are not who we used to be. We should not live like we used to be because we are not who we used to be. The old is gone. The new has come. And yet for a believer... We need to recognize we're in a battle every day. In this corner, we have the flesh. And in this corner, we have the spirit. And they are in opposition to one another. How often, honestly, how often do we think about that battle on the daily? How often do we recognize that we're in the midst of a battle? My flesh, what I want to do Versus the spirit, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. And so he says, walk by the spirit. Walk by the spirit. Has much to do with abiding and obeying. Walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the de desires of the flesh. Verse 18 says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the flesh. So we see the need to walk by the spirit. Verse 16 we see the need to be led by the Spirit. Verse 18. In verse 19 and following, he lists the works of the flesh categorically. In 21 as well. And then in 22 and 
and 23, he lists the fruit of the Spirit. And so I ask you this question. What is being evidenced in your life and in mine? The works of the flesh, are they predominant? Are they seen more in our lives than the fruit of the Spirit? Who is winning the battle? Who is winning the battle? Now, we know the reality is the battle's already won. Uh, but we also know the reality of what Paul shares in, in Romans chapter 7. The thing I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. And the thing that I know to do, I'm not doing that. Oh, wretched man. How can this even be? I need help. And so we find the Lord Jesus practically saying, you want to come after me? You want to come after me? You must deny yourself. I'd suggest to you that, that we are... a. Uh, uh, as believers, and this is a broad, uh, broad stroke uh, statement, but we as believers are a little asleep when it comes to the reality of the fight that we are in between the flesh and the spirit. And we are uh, on cruise control a bit, and we have settled for less than what God wants for us a victorious Christian life, walking by, being led by the Holy Spirit. And so the Lord Jesus says in, in this passage, we need to say no to self. We need to say no to self. A renunciation of self as the authority and focus of attention in one's life. Some of you, some of you might recall uh, the Reagan era. Uh, President Reagan and his wife, Nancy, First Lady, and she had a campaign, didn't she? A campaign uh, that she was involved in that had everything to do with trying to help those who had issues and, and struggles with drugs. And so the campaign had a catchy slogan. Do you remember what it was? Just say no. Say no. That's right. Just say no. And so for mark number three, in light of the time before us, allow me to give you the three-word summary. What the Lord Jesus was conveying to us as believers, we must deny ourselves. Just say no to the flesh. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And say yes to the Holy Spirit. Who's winning? What is being produced in our lives? And practically allow me to say, as we are moving to Galatians chapter 2 momentarily, uh, I've been encouraged by this challenge uh, and reminder having to do with the word halt, H-A-L-T. The word halt in regards to temptation that isn't sin, but ultimately leads to sin. We see that pattern. We see that pattern in the book of James where we're told God does not tempt, but here's how the pattern works, that we are tempted, and when our the temptation comes, our flesh is enticed, and ultimately uh, they get together, temptation in the flesh, and conception of sin occurs that leads to death. That's the pattern. And someone uh, 
actually a student years ago in, in a, this course I was teaching had a t-shirt on it on that had the word halt, halt and a stop sign. And the, the word, the letter H represented hungry. The letter A represented angry or anger. The letter L represented lonely. And the letter T represented tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And the point of the t-shirt and the point of this encouragement as we conclude uh, this mark, mark number three, is that we need to recognize the battle and realize temptation is more difficult when we're hungry, when we're angry, when we're lonely, and when we are tired. My family, my family, Katie would tell you if, uh, uh, if you were to ask, she would tell you that when I've had a long weekend or a long day or have been involved in uh, a, a lot of ministry, that it is in those occasions when I'm tired that I can be short in my temper. Anybody relate to that? When I'm tired, I can be easily angered or frustrated. I'm, I'm keeping it real, and I hope you will do the same. This word halt helps us and warns us, warns us to watch out for the things that cause us to be vulnerable to the flesh. In our cabinet at home where we keep our spices, there is a Morton salt container. The word salt conveys the same idea. And, and I did a men's retreat and we looked at the life of David. And I gave everyone a Morton salt container. And they wrote the word S-A-L-T on it, representing sad, angry, lonely, tired. And I have dear friends, successful businessmen, who keep on their desks their Morton salt container, reminding them that we are weak, that we are inadequate and insufficient in ourselves. And Temptation often comes when we're sad or hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And so allow me to conclude Mark number three with that encouragement. Uh, simply correlating with the Lord Jesus' prayer, encouragement to pray, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Just say no. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, as we move into Mark number 4, Mark number 4 having everything to do with the Lord Jesus' statement after he has just said, anyone wishing to come after me must deny himself and take up his cross. But take up his cross every day. To take up his cross daily. There's a great uh, article uh, that I'd uh, be happy to provide if I can locate it digitally for you. I can scan it uh, and get it, get it to you. I think by Michael Green entitled The Meaning of Cross-Bearing. And he has some 15 or 20 different definitions of this phrase, to take up one's cross. It's a great article to help us think through Think through what the Lord Jesus meant when he said to take up our cross and to do so daily. 
The Meaning of Crossbearing by Michael Green. And his concluding definition uh, of the phrase to take up one's cross daily has everything to do with a life of sacrifice and a life of submission. A life of sacrifice and a life of submission. And you can see that in our longer definition of mark number four, a realization of a life of sacrifice and separation to the cross. Galatians chapter two, verse 20, perhaps you've memorized it in the King James or the new King James. I learned a song at camp and I won't sing it to you and you're welcome, but based upon Galatians 2.20. And sometimes when I have songs in my brain and I have memorized it in a particular version, I get them confused, so bear with. But in Galatians chapter two, we have a grand summary of the Christian life. If you're looking for one verse that explains what the Christian life looks like, it's Galatians chapter two, verse 20. It very much is the truth that we find in Romans six, one through 14. That very much correlates to these marks, especially denial of self and taking up our cross daily. In Galatians 2, verse 20, we find three paradoxes. What's a paradox? Somebody help me. Remind me what a, what a paradox is, if you will, tonight. Any English teachers out there? Anyone willing to take a stab at defining a paradox? It's a seemingly self-contradicting statement. That's right. Uh, upon initial reading, upon an uh, initial glance, it seems like what is being said contradicts. Uh, but in all reality, uh, that is not the case. A paradox. And there are, there are three. There are three. You can look up uh, Wikipedia's definition if you want to now. Feel free to to keep us all on the straight and narrow. But Galatians chapter two, there are three, uh, three of these that we find. On the one hand, Paul says this, and then on the other hand, he says that. He begins by saying this. I've been crucified with Christ. On the one hand, I've been crucified with Christ. But what does he say on the other hand? You tell me. Nevertheless, I live. That's it. That's the first paradox. On the one hand, I've been crucified with Christ. It's right for us to say that we have been co-crucified spiritually. We know that's a spiritual reality that we find in Romans chapter 6. Spirit baptism perfectly displayed in water baptism. And Romans 6, I think, talks about both. More could be said about that. But here Paul says, we as believers... We've been co-crucified. Don't you love that statement? When Christ died, I died. When Christ was buried, I was buried. When Christ arose, I arose. Spiritually, that happens when we identify through faith with the person and finished work of Christ. It's a beautiful picture. And Paul begins here with paradox number one. On the one hand... I have been co-crucified with Christ. But on the other hand, guess what is real? I, I live. Co-crucified on the one hand, died with Christ. On the other hand, 
I'm still alive. Nevertheless, I live. That's paradox number one. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. What's the next one? Yet not I, on the one hand, it's not me doing the living. And, and this is the struggle, isn't it? We think it is. We think it is. It, it's up to us that we, we have the wheel and we have the control. And if we can just put forth a, enough self-determination and effort, we can do it. And the truth is we're told to be diligent in our effort and we're told to make every effort and we're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling but we also know that it is god who is at work to will and to work he says paul tells us in philippians 2. and so paul in the second paradox in galatians 2 20 says Yet not I, on the one hand, it's not me doing the living, even though I'm alive, he just said it, yet not I, but Christ. That's paradox number two. It looks like it's me. It, it looks like it's me doing the living, but in all reality, it's not. If we are winning the fight and saying no to the flesh and yes to the spirit, it is Christ living in us. Isn't that a relief? Doesn't that bring you a sigh of relief that it is not up to us? I've been crucified with Christ on the one hand. Nevertheless, I live on the other hand. Yet not I on the one hand, but Christ on the other hand. And then he says this, paradox number three. The life that I now live in the flesh and this the word flesh here is not the bad flesh the word flesh here is not describing our our sin nature that mick referred to earlier that we still struggle with as believers that paul shared that he still struggled with this is the flesh that in regards to in these bodies the life that i now live in the flesh as my brain waves and as my heart beats the life that I now live in the flesh. So here we are living in the flesh, but we do it a particular way. How are we supposed to do it? By faith. So it's not just living and breathing and taking up space on the planet. And the life that I now live in the flesh, here's how we do it. We do it by faith. By faith. If there's ever a time that we are to live by faith and not in fear, it is today. It is now. And Paul says, the life that we are now living in the flesh, here's how we're supposed to do it. We're to live it by faith. In the Glock household for G-Force, we all have chosen a word for the year. And my sweet daughter who tuned in uh, the other night, she might be listening now. She has selected the word faith for this year. Johnny and, and uh, yours truly, we have selected the word believe this year. Closely related to the word trust. So the J-Boys have both selected the word believe and or trust. My sweet wife has selected the word joy. That's just a little extra for you. G-Force words of the year. But Annie's word, Anna Kate's word, 
is exactly how Paul says we're supposed to live. Faith, this believing in the reality and existence of God and responding in obedience to him. Faith is believing. Faith is trusting. Faith is saying not what you want, not what we want, but what you want, dear father. Our brother Mike appropriately encouraged us to think about what the Lord Jesus went through in the garden. It's the same idea of a submission and a sacrifice. Not my will, but your will. Think about the agony. Think about the anguish. What the Lord Jesus was going through in his perfect, sinless humanity in the garden. The anguish, the agony, the stress, the struggle, literally dripping, sweating drops of blood. And he makes a declaration and says, not my will, but your will be done. In his sinless humanity and, and complete deity, he makes the declaration and says, not what I want, but what, what, what you want. A life of faith. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Why should we do this? By faith in the Son of God, by the way. Faith in the right person, Galatians 2.20. I live by faith, believing, trusting in the Son of God who did what? Here's the why. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Those last two things are the motivation for the three paradoxes before. Why should we live a life of faith? faith? Because, because Christ loved us and gave himself for us. There's a movie that I've made reference to before. I won't describe the, the scene as I often do, but there's a declaration made in the movie where a princess named Princess Buttercup says to a farm boy named Farm Boy Wesley these words as, she's, uh, as he's tumbling down a hill. He says it, not, not uh, princess, but rather farm boy. He says as he's rolling down the hill are three words to summarize mark number four. As you wish. As you wish. Not my will, but your will be done. Think about what it means to take up your cross and to do it every day. For some, it literally meant that they would die. In the time in which the Lord Jesus was uh, uttering these words, crucifixion was right around the corner. And so taking up a cross represented death. And so for some, it is the reality of giving up your life through death. But for many and for most, it's the reality of saying no uh, to our lives and living our lives for the Lord Jesus on the daily, taking up our cross daily. And then finally, in this section, we move to Mark number five. The Lord Jesus says in Luke chapter nine, and I'd invite you to turn there now as we look at our final Mark for this evening. Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter nine. And the Lord Jesus uttered these words. Anyone wishing to come after me must take up his cross, must deny himself, must take up his cross daily 
Luke emphasizes the word daily. And finally, follow me. Follow me. It's amazing to think about the response of the disciples when the Lord Jesus asked them, called them to follow. They responded immediately, didn't they? They responded obediently, did, didn't they? They responded by leaving all personal interests behind, didn't they? They responded by living in light of future reward. And the Lord Jesus is challenging us in this final mark for tonight, this idea of a response of allegiance to Christ's compelling leadership, a willingness to say, I'm all in. I will follow you. And in Luke chapter 9, we find again these words, verse 23, one of our central passages. But we also find three characters that I believe I introduced to you many years ago. I think when I was talking to the youth at Northern Hills, we might have looked at this passage. So as we conclude, I'll remind you perhaps a new and afresh of three characters that we find in the end of Luke chapter 9. They each have a name and they each have a focus. Look at verse 57 with me as we are uh, wrapping up our session together this evening. The Lord Jesus says this, And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, the Lord Jesus is not saying this, but the account uh, with the Lord Jesus, and as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, what do you think? Thumbs up. Is that a good thing to say or thumbs down? That's a good, not a good thing to say, or you're not sure. Thumbs up. I'll follow you wherever you will go. want me to go. Thumbs down. Not sure. Let me introduce you to our first character tonight, Mr. Too Hasty. Do you recall this individual? Have I introduced you to him before? Mr. Too Hasty. He spoke up too soon. Because he was consumed and caught up with the comforts of this world. Listen to what it says. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, verse 58, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. What happened to Mr. Too Hasty? We don't know the rest of the story, to quote Paul Harvey, because no more is said about this individual. But when the Lord Jesus tells him, if you want to follow me, it's not going to be comfortable, he gone. Mr. Too Hasty, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. You're not going to have a place to lay your head. And Mr. Too Hasty spoke too soon. For the sake of time, verse 59, and he said to another, follow me. But he said, permit me first to go and bury my father. Does that seem legit? I mean, seriously, someone that wants to be a, a good son says, uh, you know what, I will follow you, but
but let me take care of this first. Now there's only two scenarios. Scenario number one is that this individual's father just died, just died. And so they wanna take care of all the arrangements and all that is necessary and all that uh, uh, custom would require. Scenario number one, scenario number two is that the father's alive and well. And this individual is saying, you know what? I don't have time to follow you right now. He's Mr. Too Hesitant. Mr. Too Hesitant, and he is distracted and caught up with the cares of this world. The cares of this world. The reality is that he wanted to wait. He had other things to take care of first. But he said to him, verse 60, allow the dead to bury the dead. Those who are spiritually dead, bury those who are physically dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Mr. Too Hesitant wanted to wait until everything was in place. Wanted to get his inheritance, perhaps. Wanted to make sure his estate was in perfect order. And we really want to come alongside people at Believer's Stewardship Services and help them do that, I assure you. But in this particular text, in this particular text, the Lord Jesus is saying, don't wait. Don't wait until all your ducks are in the row, in a row. Follow me and follow me today. One more individual. Verse 61, and another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Come on. Doesn't that seem legit? I'll follow you, but let me go, let me go say goodbye to my family and to my loved ones and to my companions. My companions, Mr. Two Homesick. Mr. Two Homesick is our third character we see in Luke chapter 9. And the companions and relationships of life are a deterrent for him to say, I'm all in. I will follow you. I will follow you. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We understand the, the passing of the mantle be, between Elijah and Elisha that could be referenced here. But this idea of of plowing straight requires the necessity to have a fixed point ahead of you. And if we look back as we're plowing, even with modern technology and farm equipment, our lines will not be straight. And the illustration is that we need to be focused, fixed on following the Lord Jesus, following the Lord Jesus. There are numerous passages that come to mind related to following, who we are following and who we are influenced by. I spoke on Philippians chapter 3, uh, the last four Sundays in January, uh, these, these first four Sundays in January. And I was challenged again where Paul says, continue to follow my example and watch out about others who are who are not walking in a, in a worthy manner. Continue to follow those who are sticking with the same pad, pattern and imitate and be like them. But watch out for those who are not walking 
in a worthy manner? Who are we following and who are we being influenced by? I'd invite you to turn as we conclude to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter, actually 1 Peter chapter 2, I believe. Uh, turn with me to 1 Peter and we'll get it straight when we get there. As you're turning, allow me to say this, that uh, a struggle in the Glock household right now, uh, again, just to, just to keep it real before you all, a struggle in the Glock household is this reality, the internet. Are you familiar with the internet? And the colossal struggle that the internet brings. My children, my children, especially my son, Johnny, he would love for us to say he can play any game he wants. He wants so desperately to play Fortnite that, that I have heard it uh, more than I want to hear it because everybody in his class is playing. Or he wants to play a, a game called Among Us. And so our struggle in the conservative household that we have is that for some crazy reason, we don't want people that we don't know influencing our children through gaming. Does that make sense to any of you? To not allow influences from people that we don't know having the ability to chat and interact with our children. And so we say, you know what? We're not going to allow you to follow. We're not going to allow you to be influenced. And they have a hard time understanding our perfect reasoning. It's a challenge, isn't it? You know what one of the leading causes of divorce these days uh, is? Gaming. Gaming. The addiction to internet gaming. And so I ask you this question, who are we following? And who are we influenced by? First Peter, first Peter chapter two, my friends, not chapter one, first Peter chapter two, verse 21. Three words that I want to emphasize as we've looked at this fifth mark or characteristic. First Peter chapter two, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Three words to summarize Mark number five. In his steps. In your packets, there's a handout. It's a handout that comes right after Mark number five. And it has at the heading a scriptural checklist concerning doubtful things. I remember being in a class at Emmaus Bible College entitled Applied Theology. Ken Daughters was teaching the class and he gave this handout, a great handout. And I've used it for decades now. And these 15 principles can help us as we are faced daily with making decisions that have everything to do with denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily, and following him in his steps. Some of us have been wearing bracelets that encourage us to think about what would Jesus do or what would Jesus declare. They're a little cheesy and gimmicky, but they really make us think about every action and decision we make. 
denying self, taking up our cross daily, and following him. In a few moments, I'm going to walk outside, and there's a good chance I'm going to slide to the car. But if it's been snowing, if it's been snowing, there will be fresh snow everywhere. And I love when that happens. I love when that happens. Tuesday morning, no, Monday morning, we woke up with eight and a half inches of snow. And I opened the front door and there were four or five inches above the threshold. And it was snow everywhere. And I love seeing the first steps in the snow. And I want you to imagine a young boy or a young girl trying to step in those fresh footprints in the snow. The Lord Jesus has left for us an example that we would walk in his steps. In his steps. Mark number three, just say no. Mark number four, as you wish. Mark number five, in his steps. We have time for some reactions, some comments, some encouragements uh, along the way. Anyone desiring to chime in, please do so now. Don't forget to unmute. Any reactions to these three? Yeah, I just want to really thank you because just that emphasis on the fact that we cannot do any of this ourselves. Oh, man. Thank you, Miss Heather. Yeah, no I, doubt. that means a lot to me. Thank you. You're welcome. Praise the Lord. We are inadequate, insufficient in ourselves. Other thoughts, reactions, encouragements from these three all important and very practical marks. Denial of self, taking up our cross daily, and following him. Any reactions to these three this evening? Or are you ready to go to bed? For those of you, again, who are terribly concerned about filling in the blanks, once the Sunday school message is up and ready, you'll be able to do so. Uh, we'll look at the process of discipleship and the imperative found in Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission. So that's the subject matter of uh, the Sunday school session together. Be reminded of your homework. Which of these seven, we've done five so far, which of these seven need the most attention in your lives right now? And then finally, part two of your homework, what phrase, what thought, what concept, what verse, what consideration stands out most to you? Any additional, additional thoughts tonight, dear ones? Dear ones, I'm trying to say. John, regarding the Sunday school message, I received word from Andy. It has been posted. Posted. So it is, it is ready. In addition to all the messages from last night and also this morning. So you will, you will find it that Sunday school is marked Sunday school and it's number four because this session right now is number three. So just for those who go on the website. Okay. Thanks, brother. There you go.
if there are no further comments, would you allow me please to, to close our time in a word of prayer? So great to be with you all tonight. Father, we are desperate for your help. Father, in verses that we're very familiar with, uh, found in the book of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we are, as individuals, we're encouraged to trust. Trust with all our hearts. We're encouraged to not lean. We're encouraged to acknowledge. That's our part, knowing that you will direct and you will make straight. Father, your word tells us to make every effort, applying all dil diligence, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so we, we need to put forth effort, yet knowing all along the way that we cannot do it in and of ourselves. So help us, Father, to deny ourselves. Help us, Father, to be willing to submit and to sacrifice daily. Uh, to take up our cross daily and to be willing to encounter whatever it is you have for us. Whether it be that you want us to die for you or more likely that you want us to live for you. May we be willing to say as you wish. And may we be thinking about those that influence us, whether in on the internet or whether in real life. Uh, Father, we pray that we might think about influencers, and those that we are following. May we choose wisely and adhere to examples that are following after your son, the Lord Jesus. Help us to walk in his steps, we pray. We ask these things tonight, and thank you for our sessions together. Keep us safe with the inclement weather, and we look forward to, as you will, uh, another time together tomorrow. We pray these things in the worthy name of the Lord Jesus, amen and amen. Blessings to you all. Feel free to hang out and chat if you'd like. I will for a bit as well. Hello, my wife. I hope to see you sometime later tonight. Mickey, any words for uh, tomorrow in terms of uh, Sunday school time? Not my Sunday school, I'm sorry, but Lord's Supper and uh, Bible hour. Any, any uh, messages? Yeah, nothing really new other than uh, we'll be there tomorrow morning. I'll be there to help open up the meeting and uh, 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 we'll have the Lord's Supper right away at, uh, at